Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. Welcome. You are listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Seigel. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita, and we are joined live via satellite by our friend Peter Seigel. Hello, hello, hello. I'm trying to sound as if the voice is bouncing from uh, my place where I am in California to the satellite to you. Yes, I am on vacation. I am off from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for two weeks, but I would not miss this for the world, even though this episode was terrible. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Oh, no. Oh, yes. It's going to be good. Okay, today we are rehashing Season 7, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones, which Peter has said is terrible. I don't necessarily disagree. Oh, my God. This was called Eastwatch, and so much happened. But first, we thought we might just remind you for a second that there is a flagship podcast that this is a sort of offshoot of. And that is Nerdette Podcast, without recaps and without Peter Sagal most of the time. <laughs> yes, Nerdette is a podcast that celebrates the things that people obsess about. And if you haven't heard the show before, I highly recommend our most recent episode, which is all about the bassoon, which is an instrument I happened to play in high school. And in addition to speaking with two bassoon experts, we also called up perhaps the world's most famous bassoonist, Rain Wilson, also known as Dwight Schrute from The Office. Let's listen to a little bit of it. I never thought that I would get a call from someone saying, hey, we're doing a podcast on bassoons, and they would call me as an authority. I'm just pleased as punch. This is fantastic. It's like a dream come true. So yeah, if you want to hear Rain Wilson talk about bassoons, which you know you do, you should probably subscribe to Nerdette, which you can do wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find it at nerdettepodcast.com. And just one other thing before we begin, I have a memo here. Uh Uh-oh. That we received late last night from none other than Harry Strickland of Harry Strickland Partners. You might remember that Harry Strickland Partners are the very talented audio consultants that were hired between seasons of this recap podcast to kind of try to up the production value of our show. They were maybe not so great the first couple weeks, but Peter seemed to really like them last week. <laughs> but then Lyle and Ginger, who you heard from last week... I don't know what happened exactly. Something to do with hot pie and some sort of coup. There was a midnight raid. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that because I praised them last week, something bad happened to them? That will teach me. <laughs> Never again will I say anything nice about anyone. Well, I guess maybe you shouldn't, but it says here from <laughs> Harry Strickland himself that uh, he's put his two best people on retrieving the lost files. So, well, do we have thronesitions today? I mean, when you, when you throw it to the first location, are we going to be able to look forward to a musical interlude so as to set the mood or not? Well, there is no better way to find out than to begin. After the battle on the Rose Road. There's your answer, Peter. Whoa. <laughs> Three shows, seven, nine, and 11 for the Night Owls here at Do Sex Lounge. That was, all right, all right, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to, I'm just going to be, that's, they're trying. They're trying, they're surviving over odds, they're triumphing over obstacles. God bless them. They maybe will survive this episode, we'll see. Jamie and Bron <laughs> did pretty handily, somehow. They just get to pop up on the other side of the river. Was that not the the classic TV? Whoa. Well, that was a crazy adventure we just had last episode. <laughs> I was also really impressed with the fact that they didn't make us wait to find out any longer that Jamie was okay, right? It was like yeah. end of last episode, beginning of this episode, we know he's fine. It's all good. I feel well, like, what you I know, Game of Thrones from Anon would have made us wait longer for that reveal, I think. that's the, And is that a good thing? I think if it's moving things forward, we should call it a win. Yes. Okay. I'm just <laughs> going to, I'm just, I'm just, I want to, I want to, what am I trying to say? Keep my powder dry because there's so much to complain about in this episode. And if I just start in 
on that will never finish. So <laughs> you you enjoy your instant diffusion of any tension or interest. You go ahead. I, you do. I think there there is an upside in many instances. Okay. What is that upside? Well, I loved many things about this episode, but I think the thing that I did want to complain about a little bit, I actually pulled a clip of, which is Danny's oh stump speech. I uh. think Danny's stump speech needs some work. So let's listen to basically her very bad explanation of why they should like her instead of Cersei. Good. That's Cersei Lannister, not me. I'm not here to murder. And all I want to destroy is the wheel that has rolled over rich and poor to the benefit of no one but the Cersei Lannisters of the world. I offer you a choice. Bend the knee and join me. Together, we will leave the world a better place than we found it. Or refuse. And die. I think she should do a better job of explaining whether she's actually in charge because she's the rightful heir of this monarchy or if she's some sort of strange socialist queen, which is not a thing. It's very confusing, this stump speech. it was a little muddled politically. She seemed to be saying um, exactly right. Then I'm going to free you from the oppression of terrible queens like Cersei Lannister. But of course, I'm going to punish you with death if you don't help. So, yeah, it was not, shall we say, a, a clear message politically. Also, and I don't, it's, it's, it's interesting they didn't have any like peas and carrots of the guys going, oh, she made a point. Oh, that's pretty well. No, even, <laughs> even, the, even the extras were like, we're not peas and carrots at that. Nope. Yeah, they were also like, what wheel? Right. That was, the, it was what? like, only the viewers get the wheel reference, guys. Like, exactly. Come up with a better way to explain this to the Lannisters, please. They're all waving their hands going, we're peasants and soldiers. We can't afford HBO. <laughs> we never wheel? saw that episode. <laughs> we don't understand your prior invoked metaphor. Help us out here. Yeah, it did feel mighty hypocritical also for her to be like, yeah, Cersei's a crazy queen. All right, you're going. You're done. And you know know what else was a lousy stump speech? Poor mean dad Tarly's last words. Oh, his xenophobic racist. But but it it wasn't even xenophobic and racist. It wasn't like, well, she is a true born Westerosi with the blood of uh, you are a filthy Eastern, you know. And it wasn't even mean. It was like bureaucratic. He, he, he. He, st- he decided to die on a principle which sounded like a senior bureaucrat turning down your appeal. It's like, well, she was born here. You, however, were not born here. It says so here in this form. Therefore, I'm unable to give you the certificate of loyalty which you have requested. Good day, sir. <laughs> I guess Randall like, Tarley, when it comes down to it, is a DMV kind of evil. <laughs> he is. He's like, <laughs> I wrote down as like senior bureaucrat evil. That's all we've got. You know? no, I'm afraid. Evil. I'm afraid. I've I looked over your application, but no. You know, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I did feel for Dicka and Tarly, who they'd gotten me to like a little bit, because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, he's nice. He doesn't actually like battle. I forgot. This is Samuel Tarly's brother, who's one of my favorite characters. And then it seemed like even Randall was trying to save him from doing the dumb honor-bound thing that he was going to do, but he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't uh, he did. follow his father blindly. He had... He had one great thing before we went, which is for the last time and maybe the first time, somebody said his name without snickering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was but when I she was pronouncing her death, Dickon, Dickon Tarly, and she didn't go. <laughs> which, <laughs> I think it worked, though, because everyone watching snickered just a little bit. Dickon, yeah. But, and in retrospect, he did do the dumb thing, didn't he? Dickon? I mean, now they're both, yeah, now they're both dead. And is you know, Sam what, in charge and, of Hornhill? Yeah, he is. He's Lord Tarly. He doesn't know that, as they pointed out later, but we know that. There's no one left. Yeah. He's got the sword and he's got the house. He's coming up in the world. (laughs) He doesn't even know it. Yeah. So I think next from here, we head to King's Landing because we have to follow Jamie in his muddy armor all the way to Cersei's room. (laughs) Yes, he doesn't stop to change. Oh, no. Having lots of fun in King's Landing. Awful lot of douchebags in King's Landing. <laughs> Cersei's a terrible person. So there used to be this bar in Hollywood, the Dresden <laughs> Room. If you've seen the movie Swingers, it takes place yes. in the early 90s. And this couple used to play there every like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, two shows. And it was literally that. It was like the guy on you know, and a synth and the woman singing kind of, and that, I think that's the sound. I think 
that couple from the Dresden Room of 25 years ago have now shown up here. And that's exciting to me. I was in Los Angeles like two years ago and I saw them there. They're still there? Yeah. The guy is wearing this amazing like jet black wig and he's clearly like 80 years old. And That sounds right. Yeah. And the two of them are there and they're playing. And I thought I had stepped into a weird movie set, but it's just they're real and they're there all the time. They are. It's awesome. I don't know how I feel about the editorialization taking place in these transitions, though. What do you mean? Do you guys you find it problematic that, yeah, man, like they're calling everybody in King's Landing douchebags. Are they that true? I mean, they not necessarily, to say, I mean. but like I, I've never heard it, an opinionated transition before is all I'm saying. I just thought it was worth pointing out. That Sometimes to set the scene, you have to be morally judgmental. Okay, so uh, douchebags and Cersei is a terrible person. I think that does yes. establish the tone of this location. So Jamie has no time to change clothes. He has to go in his muddy armor all the way straight to Cersei's room where she says, how many men did we lose? Can we just buy a new army since we have our gold? And Jamie's trying to convince her that it doesn't matter how many people they have because she has dragons. Right. Well, it's interesting because now we know how much of the Lannister army we lost, all of it. Mm-hmm. There's nobody left. So that means that Cersei is sitting in King's Landing with no army, which might be of interest to some other characters. Gosh, what else do we know? Do you think... Kyburn was talking to Cersei about her blessed event impending when Jamie walked in? Yes. You think that's what it was? You think that he was there delivering the uh, Westerosi equivalent of it turned blue? Um, no, because I think she's lying about being pregnant. Oh. Ooh. She's for sure lying about being pregnant, right? Like, let's just go there. Because, you know, the only other thing that happens in between really is that Jamie tells Cersei that Olena killed Joffrey, which was... Somewhat satisfying to watch, but it's really Jamie, like doing some really nice acting. I think in that scene where he goes from sort of oddly excited because you remember that he does have this weird, messed up, loving relationship in his own mind with his sister, to then terrified of her when she says, "Never betray me again," while hugging him. Yeah, which was the most intense hug I think we have yet seen this season. It's a pretty dear, although we can, we have a nice little hug coming up. Now, wait a minute. Did that conversation, Cersei saying to Jamie, never betray me again, that happened before or after uh, Jamie's meeting with Tyrion? Oh, it's after. It's after right. Brian That's sets up the really excellent secret meeting. Yeah. The excellent secret, incredibly unlikely secret meeting. Why? Um, yeah, that's where it yes. kind of right. goes round the bend. I will grant you that, Peter. Go ahead. This show went round the bend so many times. We're back where we started. I suppose that trying to convince people to stop a war because of a zombie heist that you're going to pull. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it really round the bend? Are are we skipping ahead now? Because I can, but I know how you (laughs) like to do things. Well, we'll let you get there in a minute. But so, yeah, so we have this. Here's what's happened is is our typically not problematic way of going location to location worked a little easier when characters weren't bopping between them right. and interacting. Right. And now that they're actually talking to each other, it's much more complicated. Yeah, now that Davos and his little boat of fermented crab Viagra is washing <laughs> up on shore in King's Landing, it makes things a little more complicated. And then, of course, in King's Landing, we have the return of the much-awaited Gendry. 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 All right, hold on. We do want to register the... T- uh, that Trisha does not believe that Cersei is really pregnant. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting hypothesis. I like it. Of it would course make she's lying. It would make sense. You, th- I- you, you think she's lying because there's such an obvious incentive for her to do so, i.e. to sort of rope Jamie's fortunes and interests to hers because they have a child together again. Right. Give them something to fight for, to ref- echo that whole, you know, our children are dead. Well, then we'll fight for ourselves. Well, no, look, here's another baby. No, I got, we got a babe. Yeah, and... Uh- she knows one of her little brothers is going to kill her. And so if one knows that she's with child, maybe he's a little less likely to become the queen slayer. So in the elevator on my way up to work this morning, one of my very clever coworkers was like, what if she dies in childbirth? Which is kind of an interesting notion. In ter- I mean, you know, because that's still sort of Jamie killing her, right? Yeah, it is. And that's and there's an echo of uh, Tyrion killing, quote unquote, her exactly, mother. Exactly, yeah. The, the, the problem is it makes so much sense from a story point of view for her to get pregnant, i.e. if she's pregnant, Jamie is sort of married to her. If not in legally, then at least motivationally. And now they have more of a stronger motivation. But it makes such sense as a story point for the show creators. It also makes sense for her something to lie about. So I don't know which one. Mm-hmm. is the true version. 
That was the moment in last night's episode where I was like, oh, they are just going off script. Like, I would never have anticipated that that would happen. It was just like, yes. whoa. Unlike other things. So to recap, Cersei totally lying about being pregnant. Yes. Well, in your view. Yeah. It's I'm just good, putting money on that. Yeah, that's right. that's clever. It's real clever. Yeah, I, I can't argue that you're wrong. <laughs> and it, it pains me. It pains me to say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> the biggest well right. concession you've made in some time, Peter. <laughs> I know. You're, you're, you, she, you, I don't know. You may be right. And what do you think about the meaning of the brothers, of the Lannister brothers? Uh, I, I, well, we have to back up because you have to talk about the scene first uh, at Dragonstone where they decide yeah. to do this, right? And that whole sequence... Should we just go to Dragonstone, guys? Yeah, we need, we need, we've been trying to get around it. Hey, Jen. Hey, Colin. What's the word? The word is... Dragonstone! (laughs) Oh, how the terrible have fallen further. That one sounded a little frantic. Yeah. The place is emptying out. The manager is looking at them coldly, wondering about the people they used to bring in who don't come in any longer. We kind of have our own our own little tragedy here. Ugh. Anyway. So John's big dragon moment. He gets the dragon. dragon. It reminded me, it's like the Westerosi version of a meat cute in a dog park. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a cute girl with a, with a dragon. I'll pet it. Does that make there. this oh, must nice love dragon. dogs? Yeah, pretty much. But must love dragons with John Cusack being played by a Kit Harington. (laughs) Right when you think they're really going to have a moment and maybe he's going to reveal that he is also kind of a zombie, then Jorah shows up. (laughs) So they're all about to, who knows, they're going to smooch, they're going to go for a ride, they're going to jump on the dragon, they're going to sing A Brave New World from Aladdin as they fly around. (laughs) Or Or maybe the love theme from the original Superman movie. There's a lot of scenes they could have referenced. But instead... Who should show up? Jorah. He shows up. You look strong, says Danny. Ugh. Ooh. Uh. Hmm. Yeah. Hair looks good. Ugh. It just, that because, hug too was so creepily tender. Yes. That's when you referred to the other hug in the episode. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of this one. It was like, what kind of hug is this? Is this a friend zone hug? Asking, mm-hmm. asking for all guys. You know <laughs> how to read this hug? <laughs> how to read this hug? Because you know the juror goes to the bar afterwards and is like, "Well, I don't know. It was kind of a hug. She kind of turns sideways in the way that you do, but I don't know." I mean, I mean, I don't think it's a friend zone hug, but it's a like, let's be aware of the daddy issues hug. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, we've settled those. We're not going to talk about that again. And then, of course, uh, having traveled the literally seven kingdoms to be cured and returned to her, what does Jorah do? But immediately volunteer to leave. Yeah, that felt. Like an unnecessary thing, except to put together our Ocean's Eleven of zombie heist guys. Exactly. <laughs> oh, how many incredibly unlikely things are these characters forced to do during the course of this episode to to get the band back together? You know, I that. like. Someone tweeted to us that it was like the Breakfast Club, which I really liked too. Now that song is stuck in my head. I know, like like a band of unlikely. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. So who's who's the because the Breakfast Club famously was uh, a, oh, a theme of, of the classic high school types, right? You had the nerd, <laughs> the jock, the stoner, the grind, right? So who's 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 the nerd? Greta? Samwell, and he's not there. Oh exactly. yeah, no of this group, probably John. No, Barrick. Barrick? Barrick is not a nerd. Barrick, he's, 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 I hope somebody just punches him soon. But this is my great objection to this episode, why it was like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened on this TV show I love. It was so, what's the word, manipulative to get you that ending, to get you some of your most favorite characters together fighting beyond the wall. Isn't that exciting? And I'm like, no, it's not really, because it's all bullshit. That whole scene where they decide in the throne room at Dragonstone, what to do. And everybody goes from, oh, we're fighting a war. We're trying to kill them. We just killed a whole bunch of them to, hey, okay, that thing that John suggested beforehand, we'll do that. We'll join forces. We'll stop the war. We'll try to defeat the, uh, the night, army of the dead. And you know, you know what we need to do? We need to bring one of those bodies to Cersei. That will convince her. That'll be easy. Okay, who's going to go? Oh, I know. You guys go. Great. All done. Really? <laughs> Here's the one thing that I think was maybe in character and maybe felt 
a little more than just putting the Ocean's Eleven together, which is that I think Tyrion doesn't know how to do what Varys was telling him to do, which is to get Danny to listen so that she doesn't basically just murder everyone from every one of the Seven Kingdoms. Right. And so he's stalling her. I felt like at that moment, Tyrion was just trying to stall the death of everyone he's ever known on the continent he is from. I, I think you're right. I think that in a in, because of what you've just seen, and clearly they were trying to bring Tyrion to a certain place, and that place is trying to stop the war or trying to more specifically stop Danny from killing everybody. So yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't make sense that she she bought it. It doesn't make sense that she's like, oh, all right, and I will allow you, my presumably most trusted advisor, on this insane decision to go talk to Jamie in King's Landing, a place where if you are found, you will be instantly murdered in just the ugliest way. But okay, you can go. Ooh, Trisha, I see in your notes you're calling it a white heist plan. I am an calling elaborate, it a white heist. <laughs> an elaborate white heist. An, an elaborate white Ocean's Eleven theme, too. Uh, define, Trish, white heist. Oh, just that they, are they're going to get a white and they're going to boost him. Oh, white heist. I'm I-G-H-T. sorry. I thought this, I'm sorry. I thought this was a reference to their ethnicity, but no. Okay, sorry. It's just the times <laughs> we live in. Never. Yeah, they're going to go to the big white heist. Yep. <laughs> We're going to need an explosives guy. Well, we got this guy. All right. And they tried to do this by sending just a white hand to King's Landing before, but yeah. apparently yes. by the time the hand got there, it had stopped doing the Adams Family game. <laughs> right. All right. So now that we are all up to speed on the white heist plan, yes. <laughs> now we have the meeting of the Lannister brothers. We'll just zig back over to King's Landing since it's so easy to do these days. Just need a little boat. And some yep. gold to pay the gold cloaks. So what exactly, remind me what the plan was. So they're going to go steal a white, but why did Tyrion have to go to King's Landing? Why was that so essential? To see if Jamie was receptive to the notion of helping, right? Right. And you see, again, is that so important that Tyrion has to risk his life and the life of Davos in order to, uh, in order to have that conversation? Or was it just, we really needed to see Tyrion and uh, Jamie Lannister talk at this point? Yeah, I think Tyrion just missed him. Yeah, they didn't yeah. need to preempt with the pre-meeting. They could have yeah. just had the meeting with the White and Jamie. Mm-hmm. I, right. I was actually very surprised. If you're going to show up in King's Landing where they want you dead, wouldn't it make more sense to, at the very least, if you're going to do that, bring the thing that you know will change their mind? Yep. Also, yep. everyone in King's Landing knows what Tyrion looks like. Because he's right. a dwarf with a very pronounced scar. Yes. You know who no one in King's Landing has ever seen? Jon Snow. Ooh. Or Jorah Mormont. Yeah, like exactly. There's so many people in Danny's court who actually could walk through King's Landing untouched, but they wouldn't maybe get the meeting with Jamie. So I guess, yeah, we or have to do that. Varys presumably still has some spies left who we could send a message, or they could send a raven, or they could do anything. But no, we needed a really cool scene between uh, Peter Dinklage and Nicholas Coster Waldo. So how do we do that? We also got to use this room we built that has all these dragon heads in it. It was expensive, Peter. <laughs> it was, exactly. There were more, I think, dragon heads this time. But we had so, to get yes. back to Flea Bottom to make sure that Gendry wasn't still rowing. Exactly, which was the opening line. I thought you were still rowing out there. Yes, we, us too, us too. <laughs> we all watch the show, Davos. We know, we've made that joke. Were you guys happy to see him back? I was, although now I'm concerned that they're just going to kill him. Really? Yeah. There's a scene in the trailer for next week where you can see, we think, we the internet, the royal we of the internet, think that maybe we see the hound with Mjolnir, which is the name I have given to Gendry's hammer. Oh, sure. All right. This is, this is an internet snoofing bit of a, of a, of a, uh, of a preview, right? Yeah. You so saw the if, hound with the hammer. If he's already lost his hammer, that maybe doesn't bode well for him. Also, some people yeah. got to die on this sort of quest to the beyond the wall. Otherwise, I don't know. I feel like we're going to lose at least a couple of these guys. We're going to have to. Otherwise, it really has become Ocean's Eleven, where everybody's too beloved to let go, which is not the Game of Thrones way. And he was such a a voluntary sport to go north and help fight, you know? And the whole idea of, like, that our dads helped each other, so we should help each other. I could see that he's expendable once he's sacrificed himself for the greater good. And I'm amazed that nobody has mentioned this so far, but of course the war hammer was the trademark weapon of Robert Baratheon, his father, right? Yep. So there are a lot of indications that Gendry's role in this is going to be sort of Robert Baratheon reborn. And he will be a Robert Baratheon-like figure, and John, in this regard is going to be a Ned Stark-like figure, and they're going to fight again in a kind of lovely, uh, what's the word, happy resolution of the loss of their various fathers. 
which again is typical TV. You know, well, the father was killed, but here comes the son who's just like the father, and it's going to be great when he wins. Really? I hope not. I did kind of like Gendry making a joke at John, and we have a clip of that if we want to see how they became yes. bros instantly. Begging your pardon, your grace. You survived King's Landing. Yet again, your grace. This is cool. Gendry, your grace. I'm Robert Baratheon's son. Bastard son. He was meant to keep that to himself. Our fathers trusted each other. Why shouldn't we? I saw your father once at Winterfell. I met yours. In my shop. You're a lot leaner. And you're a lot shorter. I liked it. I also feel like this was a reference to Kit Harington more than Jon Snow. I feel like we're not often seen... We don't often see Jon Snow framed as being short, but Kit Harington, when you see him in interviews or on panels or anything with the rest of the cast, he's a short man. So this felt like a joke about Kit more than about Jon. You know, I found myself wondering yesterday at that closing scene if Tormund Giantsbane is actually just normal-sized, but he just seems very large (laughs) because he's next to Jon Snow. Yeah, it's not much special effects. Um, Yeah, that was kind of a – what am I trying to say? That was kind of another meet-cute, right? It was a meet there, cute. Yeah. I liked it. There, okay. It was cute. It was adorable. <laughs> is it, but do you think that Gendry is going to play a significant role in the story? Um, or it was just like, everybody wonders where Gendry went. He was kind of a fun character. Hey, guys, let's bring him back and make him part of the team. They needed a guy with a hammer. Yeah, well, everything looks like a nail north of the wall, so bring a hammer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think he's going to die pretty quickly, but... Maybe the Hound will save his life, and maybe that's how he ends up off of Arya's list because he saves Gendry, and most of the people who are on Arya's list are there because they did something bad to Gendry. I wonder if, in fact, what we're going to see over the next few episodes of these characters is, uh, what's the word? Redemption. If each of them is going to have something that they can do to complete their character arc, which will literally make me throw things at my TV if that's how they decide to go. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, I know. You need to get you know, him some foam like, bricks, folks. I know, but it, don't you see my point? If that's what this becomes, if these are like characters in a personal journey north of the wall and the hound will learn to be kind and to care about someone other than, oh, God, please. <laughs> the hound already has learned to be kind and care about other yeah, people. Yeah, that's, you see, but, it, but I'm concerned that they will, he'll have to learn more. Please don't learn anything. <laughs> no learning? <laughs> No learning, Meter no growth. against learning. <laughs> there was actually a, a famous story when they created Seinfeld that Jerry Seinfeld said to his close, Larry David said, on this show, there's not going to be any learning, no growth, nobody gets hugs. <laughs> That's what they meant. They didn't want, you know, like, oh, the whole point of this long journey north of the walls was so Sandor Clegane could learn to care. No, no, we don't want to see that. Is that what defeats White Walkers, though? Is it Valerian Steel and <laughs> love. Care Bear and Stare? And love. It's exactly. love. It's love in your heart. Oh, the love of a God. mother sacrificing yes. herself for her son. All right. So again, to say it, all of this is happening because clearly the showrunners want it to happen rather than anything it seems organic to the characters, and I am cross. <laughs> Everybody quiet, because Peter Sagel's got another goddamn opinion. I'll have you know that that was producer-initiated. <laughs> I'm sure. He's getting the rhythm of it. <laughs> All right, more in just a minute. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. You've got a friend, call him anytime you please. He saved a dude from infectious disease. You can trust him, he's a worthy clientele. Sam Tarley, you can find him at the Citadel. We got rhymes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It took four or six minutes of music till we got our first one, but there's a rhyme. <laughs> I saw it. I heard it. Oh, boy. Oh. <sighs> 
very strictly uh, partners. This couple are growing on me. I feel I'm getting to know them as people. Oh. Their story is sad, but kind of hopeful. That seems about Which right. Which is something that you're tolerant of in your transitions, but not your Game of Thrones. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> they can invoke whatever cliche they want. So we're at the Citadel. The maesters are gossips. And they're yes. all sitting around discussing this letter they got from the North, right? <laughs> How foolish. How foolish this true information in front of me is. Let's all look at each other, chuckle, and dismiss it. <laughs> <laughs> I turned on closed captioning during this scene uh-huh. to make sure that I knew what they were murmuring about near the end. And it was old Jenny of Old Stones. And Lodos. And Lodos. And then, of course, I went down internet rabbit holes about who each of them were, which were kind of fun nods to book readers, I think, (laughs) because they are real things in the books. But Ah, Lodos. That was my favorite. No, Lodos. Jenny of Old Stones. (laughs) So the next scene in the Citadel is perhaps much more instructive for us. It is. Gilly's very important summer reading list. Yeah, I think several people asked that we play a patriarchy jingle on behalf of Gilly because Sam is just so resistant to actually listening to her imparting important information. So can can we make that happen, Justin? Nobody cares, but it never really stops him. Sam will Tarly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Trisha. I had to do the edit on the fly. (laughs) This isn't your fault, Peter. This is Sam's fault. To be fair to Sam, and I feel like I need to defend him in this moment, it wasn't that he was dismissive of of Gilly, it's that he was very angry and thus distracted. So it wasn't like he was saying, stop talking to me, Gilly, you silly woman. I've got more serious things to think about. But clearly he was upset. We've also, all been I there. think thinking about maesters and their bowel movements just really put him in a PTSD <laughs> moment. <laughs> so I did it. He doesn't have, you know, he's, he's lots of reasons to be mad. And he just went through that classic thing where nobody listened to him, even though he was telling the truth and he was dismissed. I don't blame him for being mad. However, he should have listened to Gilly saying, oh, let me tell you about this interesting word I've just learned. A null. There was this guy named Rhaegar once who had his marriage annulled. Yep. Is annulment a thing in Westeros? And apparently it is, according so, to Septon Maynard, yes. Yep. In the light of the seven, it's not common to have a divorce or an annulment, but as we know, when you're royal, the rules that a faith puts on other people don't apply to you in such matters often in history. So so what this means then for the story is the annulment is that there are two things. First of all, now somebody else knows, other than Bran, if somebody would just pay attention to Gilly, what Rhaegar did. Um, and all, and who Jon Snow is, but also that Jon Snow is legitimate. Mm-hmm. He is the legitimate firstborn son of the legal marriage of Rhaegar and um, Lyanna Stark, meaning he is the heir to the throne. The real heir, and since Danny is always talking about the fact that she gets the throne because Targaryen, right. that right. means that she's going to have to bend the knee. Oh, that would be yes. so delightful. Or, and we remember, we've talked about this many, many times, the Targaryens have a tradition of incestuous marriage, in much the way the pharaohs of Egypt did. So there's nothing to prevent the, because the other thing that's going along is this impending romance between the two of them. I mean, like that meet cute in the cliff with the dragon, you know? <laughs> yeah. Let me just tell you something. When a guy's like petting a girl's dragon, in his mind, he's not petting her dragon, if you know what I mean. Ooh. She does <laughs> have a look on her face that was pretty interesting in that yes. scene. So I'm saying that, that, that there's nothing to prevent that we didn't learn anything that would prevent that particular storyline from taking place given the Targaryen's ways. And now Sam has run away from the Citadel. I think Did you the feel saddest, bad? The saddest I was the whole season so far was when Sam looked back at the library that disappointed him and yeah. walked out. I was thinking, I was actually not so much thinking about Sam, I was thinking about you, Tricia, knowing how sad <laughs> you were. Leave that library. I mean, knowing that that the Citadel didn't accept women as maesters, I was already sort of over it once we realized (laughs) what a patriarchal bunch of nonsense they were. Yeah, I know. But, you know, knowing that about the Citadel felt a little bit like the great Lindy West quote, which I'll paraphrase, which is feminism is realizing that everything you ever loved hates you a little bit. (laughs) That's how I felt about seeing the Citadel in action. There was also a, a specific invocation of the the hidden secret theory, which you, Trish, have mentioned many times in your hopes of what Sam would do, which is he'd go to the Citadel and he'd find buried in a book somewhere the secret to defeating the White Walkers, and thus he could participate in the ultimate victory in his own nerdy way, just like the more brave characters will be hitting things with swords, right? That was That was your big hope? Yes. Well, that was specifically invoked when Sam says, you know what you could do, maesters? You could 
look in all the books and find that little bit of information that we know is out there that will help us defeat the, the Night King once and for all. And they were like, no. And then what do we see him doing? We see him grabbing books, apparently almost at random. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what are the odds that one of those books has that one piece of information that everybody has forgotten about, but will allow them to, in fact, defeat the forces of evil? So I would say the chances are pretty good. So is he going to be at Winterfell next week? I don't know. They can get anywhere they're going whenever they want, right? This is yeah. like the new rules. It's like, oh, let's go there. Zip. I think, yeah, he would go to Winterfell, probably not Eastwatch, because he doesn't know they're at Eastwatch. Right. Well, where does he think? Well, the raven just came, right? So he must know that He knows his that John that's Bran is at Winterfell. I don't know that right. Raven says anything about where John is, actually. I would agree with you that the most likely place we will see Samuel Tarly is Winterfell. Or do you think he'll pop up at Eastwatch when just they're in trouble all of a sudden? You know, yeah, being, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, but He'll pop if, up and say, I brought this weapon or something like that. Even if he goes to Winterfell, he can still get from Winterfell to Eastwatch within an episode. Clearly. You know? They can get, yeah, they John can get from anywhere they want. Exactly. Should we then go to Winterfell? Yes, let's, let's go. go to Winterfell. Now it's time to talk about... Winterfell. <laughs> I always think the Winterfell ones are the most charming for some reason. That was including this week. Including this week, yeah, Winterfell. Oh, that Winterfell. one felt like Sesame Street to me. Oh, maybe that's why I liked it. So in Winterfell, an elaborate scheme run by Littlefinger. He's finally doing something. He seems to have noticed growing tension between uh, Arya and Sansa. Tension that is um, reflected in a scene in which they argue about what exactly? I guess Arya wanted Sansa to be more strict with the lords about their respect of King John. Right. And he was like, no, or, or, or what exactly? I mean, it just seemed like they were fighting for the sake of fighting. That Arya had taken a position which was opposite of her sisters on something just to, so they could have some conflict. It did feel a little no, bit like a sister fight. <laughs> of, of which you guys have more experience than I. Oh, no. No, I, neither of us both have of us sisters. have brothers, so yeah. Really? Neither of you have sisters? Nope. We just are sisters. Oh, I see. And so, so define sister fight for me in that regard. Well, it would have to be two sisters, I think. I don't know. Having a brother, I always just see sisters and I'm like, oh, man, that's got to be really tough. Just <laughs> really? Like, I just feel like girl sisters. I mean, and, you know, some of them can be very nice to each other. I just feel like sometimes they can be very mean to each other, too. And I think Sansa and Arya, they've got that. There's tension there, you know. They know how to yeah. hurt each other really well. That's true. And they also did not like each other very much. They didn't get along well very exactly. much when they were much younger before all this happened. But I still don't understand, especially since it seems like what Littlefinger is up to, that he wants to drive a wedge between them for reasons of his own. Maybe you guys can explain. Why would he want to do that? Um, he, it does seem as if they just needed to have some conflict because I didn't see exactly what the problem was from Arya's perspective, of what Sansa had just done. Well, essentially, Arya's accusing Sansa of plotting to take Winterfell for herself, right? She is accusing Sansa of that. I think she's also accusing Sansa of being politic now, as opposed to what Arya understands, which is pretty much only getting what you want through force and fear and yeah, violence. Does, and Sansa's Arya a good make... politician, but Arya doesn't right. understand that world. That's not the world doesn't she Ar was raised in. That's the one Sansa was raised in. Right. And doesn't Arya make some suggestion of violence? Like, yeah. well, they, they behave if you just, you know, whack their heads off or something. Yeah. Yes, we have that, actually. Let's take a listen. I'm sure cutting off heads is very satisfying, but that's not the way you get people to work together. And if John doesn't come back, you'll need their support so you can work together to give you what you really want. How can you even think such a horrible thing? You're thinking it right now. You don't want to be. But the thought just won't go away. I think a little bit of this is just them working through some of their issues. <laughs> yes. And what Littlefinger needs to understand is that sisters fight like this, mm -hmm. but it is always ovaries before broveries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you better watch out. Yep, for sure. You think? So oh, yeah. clearly... It seems then that we can understand that Arya is suspects that Sansa is plotting to take Winterfell for herself or to supplant Jon, 
which is a pretty big leap of supposition, really, just based on what we've seen. I mean, specifically, didn't we see Sansa in that throne room or the Great Hall defending John to the knights? The knights were saying, well, you should be in charge. And she's like, no, John's in charge. I mean, she says John's doing what he thinks is right, which is a pretty right. weak actual support. You know, it's like he's he's doing what he thinks is right. If a vice president says that about their president, then you're like, oh, that guy's running against him. So. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I see. Um, do you buy Sansa as this kind of enlightened ruler? As if, I mean, I mean, we saw her sort of magically figure out how to do logistics recently. Has she magically figured out how to be an effective uh, leader of a cooperative team? If so, then she's the only one in Westeros. Right. I, I just, I mean, what has she learned? What does she know? I mean, she's someone who grew up with her head filled with fantasies and, and tales of knights and, and knights errant and maidens, right? We knew that. She was complete naive. And then she went through X number of years of absolute horror, which would have warped anybody given what she went through. And now suddenly we're supposed to believe she's sort of has this natural command where she knows what to do to get people to, she gives a little speech. This is how you get people to work together. How would she know? Well, I think it's fair to assume that it's not by cutting off people's heads. Yes. <laughs> right? I mean, like, yes. she at least does know that much in her defense. Right. Well, although someone who's been through what she's been through, being uh, traumatized as she was by Ramsey over the years, wouldn't she, her more natural of learned opinion be, you have to be incredibly mean to people before they're incredibly mean to you? I mean, how does she come out of, I guess what I'm saying is, how does the character that we have seen develop over these many years end up having these opinions and these skills? It's hard to see. I think that some people learn by example and others learn by example to do the opposite, right? What not to do. Yeah. Counter example. And yeah. Sansa and Arya are kind of doing that, right? Like if you have, uh, you know, a parent who treats two children the same way, one will follow in exactly those footsteps and the other one will run in the other direction. And yeah, I think that that's kind good. of what we're seeing with these two girls. I, I think that, you know, one of the things – this is hard for me to articulate – one of the things that I think we're seeing happen is that characters are succeeding or failing or taking actions because of an inherent quality, right? And you saw that most clearly this episode with Gendry. He, I, you don't really know anything about Gendry, except we're being told because he's his father's son, he's brave, he's strong, he's devoted and loyal, will fight by your side, and he's pretty good with a hammer, right? We're just being told that's who this guy is. Enjoy. And it seems like we're being told, well, that's who Sansa is now. She's kind of enlightened and sophisticated in a way that we haven't seen her be or learn to be. She just is. But next week, I think she's afraid of something because Arya seems to say to her, are you afraid? Oh, in, <laughs> so. in, in the upcoming episode? Mm-hmm. All right. And should we just so, mention for folks, in case they haven't Googled it for themselves yet, what was on that ra oh, raven yes, that was please. so artfully hidden? Oh, yes. Tell me what was on that raven. So which, which raven message are we talking about? The one that Littlefinger hides in his mattress for Arya right. to find. Yes, which is, and she pulls it out and opens it up, and you could freeze frame it and read it. You can, and it's also... a little blurry around the edges, but Oh, yeah. it's, it's clear what it is, I think. And what does it say? What does it say? It is the one that she was forced by Cersei to write to Rob Stark in season one about Ned being a traitor and Rob needing right. to come to King's Landing to bend a knee. Right. And at the time... Yes. Rob and Maester Lewin both agree that it was Cersei's handwriting, but the words of the queen. But right. Arya doesn't know that, really. You mean Sansa's handwriting, but the words of the queen? Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, like they understood that Sansa was being forced to do that on point of death or whatever. But Arya probably won't. At least at first. Right. So Arya is going to end up, if this manipulation succeeds, believing that her sister Sansa was, in fact, in league with... What's his awful name? Joffrey. <laughs> and responsible for their father's death. And that would be bad death, for their And their mother's oh death. God. I mean, oh really, boy, it sets everybody. all of that in motion. It sets Rob going south into motion. Right. So they're basically going to be at odds. You feel? That's Littlefinger's plan, but I refer back to my previous statement, ovaries before broveries. Right. <laughs> I don't think he's actually going to get between these sisters. And Bran should be able to sort this out, right? Like, they do have an all-knowing brother, like, one room over. <laughs> right. They have an all-knowing brother, and we sort of skipped this because it was early on in the episode, I think. We have an all-knowing brother who has decided to make himself useful. Right. For right. once. He's weighing in. Who's weighing in, who's sending, who's doing the things that we were asking. Why isn't he doing those things? Why isn't he, like, borging into ravens and doing some intelligence? Well, he did those things. Why isn't he actively uh, helping the good guys? Well, now he's all actively helping the good guys. I also did really love the Arya lurking montage. 
the lurking on lurking, the Arya uh-huh. lurking and the little finger lurking yeah, on Arya yeah. lurking. It was just a lot of it was just a lot of lurking without much they were just, actual dialogue. They were, they were lurking at each other. It was mutual mutual lurk. <laughs> God, have, no, it sounded creepy. <laughs> <laughs> we have just one more location, which was fun to see in the opening credits. I have to say, the little animated version. Oh, of I Ice loved Watch it. Was cool. Mm-hmm. They said, "Oh, look, it's a new one." I love when new, new locations show up. <laughs> I'd like to thank you all for coming out to the wall tonight. And without further ado, I'd like you to put your white walking hands together for Jen. Wall, ice cold wall, tall wall. I walk on the wall, I walk around the wall, I fall off the wall. Don't fall, wall, don't fall, wall. Oh God, it's word jazz. I was tempted to leave, you guys. <laughs> I know. I think we may have we may have, as is appropriate of the wall, plunged off the end of the world. We're no longer at the Dresden. We're at some other do- <laughs> other very different bar. Oh boy! Now the supergroup is complete. Yes, and it, I mean, so many cliches were invoked, including the ones of finding the last members of the team in a cell. Mm, right? Yeah. How many times have you seen that? Where it's like, well, where? What happened to? What happened to the Biff, the explosions expert? Cut to, you know, cell Jill Block where he's lying there oh, waiting for the other guys to come. Yeah, we got him. Here he is. We got to get him out of jail, though. We have to have some badinage first. So the notion that um, the Hound, uh, Thoros of Mir, and uh, I want to say Don Barian, Beric Don Darian, all just sort of saw that vision a couple of episodes ago in the flames. And they were like, okay, we got to go to the wall. Yeah, That's it. they saw the wall and they saw the Arrowhead Mountain and they follow the Lord of Light. Yeah, man, I, I feel like people have done way crazier things because they saw things in flames than in this specific this true. instance. This is true, but they, they seem so obedient. It's like it's like if it showed them an Applebee's, is that where they'd go? I yeah. Mean, yeah, I guess so. But so they, we just needed everybody at the wall. So who go down the roster of our now assembled supergroup. Roll call. We have John. <laughs> yeah. We have Jorah. Yeah. We have the Hound. Uh-huh. We have Beric Dondarrion. Yes. We have Thoros of Mir. Yes. We have Gendry. Yes. And we have Tormund Giantsbane, who is right. very disappointed also, that Brienne is not there. Yes, he's the <laughs> giant woman here. Yeah. So that's that's our that's our team of our team of heroes from various points in this season. Mm-hmm. And some red shirts. They are then followed by some red shirts. Oh, really? Did I, I didn't notice that they had <laughs> yeah. red shirts. Yeah. They must know. I mean, they're looking around at these other 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 characters going, wow. These are some of the most beloved characters of our TV series. Aren't we lucky that we get to go with them? <laughs> Can't wait to talk to Jura Mormont there about his scenes in, in, in season one. They were very exciting back then. They did talk to Tormund about needing some of his men. Yeah, some of the free folk. Yeah. I think we should maybe tell the show watchers something that only the book readers probably understood also, which is why Jorah and Thoros know each other. How did Jorah and – oh, they used to fight together back yeah, in the East when they were both listeners. Yeah, together. Yeah. So Thoros of Mir took Lightbringer, his flaming sword, which we're going to see next week, according to the trailer, yeah. into Pike. And that's where Thoros of Mir and Jorah Mormont had their sort of epic battle. I think that's how Jorah was made a knight initially. Yeah. So yeah, so they have history that actually has never been in the TV show that they referenced in this episode. Because all these guys now have a bunch of history with each other. Either somebody killed somebody in their families or they fought together nine years ago or something. Got kidnapped. Or, yeah. Did, yeah. did they all, I have to watch the scene again. Did they all... Uh, Talk about that. Oh, I know you. Yeah. Thoros of Mir. We fought in Pike. There was a lot of like nods of recognition. Well, they didn't mention Pike, but there were, yeah, my, what was it? Was it the showrunners who called it like enmity ping pong or something? Because they were all just sort of like, oh, I don't like you. I don't like you either. And then the conclusion is, how do we know we're all on the same side? Because we're all breathing. Right. Which I did think. So have we gotten to the end? Have we, have we fought our way through this, this heavy end exposition a manipulative of characters and generally unsatisfying episode of TV. See, yes. man, I really liked it, but I like really talky TV like this, so I was kind of into it. But yeah, our, I, you know, was... I, I want to I, because I was so disappointed. I let me. I will tell you the truth. I was so disappointed. I went to bed last night going, "What am I going to say in the recap? I'm just going to be bitter and unhappy. There will be no joy for anyone in me today." I was feeling bad, so <laughs> I want you, Trish, to convince me that I was wrong, and this is actually a great episode. Well. <laughs> I think I think it was a useful episode in terms of 
moving things forward, right? I mean, we've talked about this before. You have to have these episodes in the grand chess game where pieces are moving around so that the crazy shit can happen in episode six. And I think it did exactly that. I mean, the fact that we only have two episodes left this season is insane and mind-blowing. And when my mother found out the other day, she called it coitus interruptus, actually. She was pretty upset about it. I know. I I just like your mother's school of metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I would say that I understand why you're disappointed. And I... I was just able to just decide in my head that this was a different kind of thing now. And because I think I don't have the backbone of the books as Mm -hmm. ingrained in me, it's less different. Like the pace of it. I've talked with friends who are book readers too and they're like, but the early slower days of the show remind me of the pace of the books. And so I like them more and this feels more like TV. And I'm the kind of person who likes talky, fast talking TV more than I like really long books. <laughs> oh, really? I had no idea you. Yeah. Yes. yeah. You, you like you like TV shows in which people walk down corridors and talk rapidly. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Or That's like stairways and drives. Or stairways. Yeah. yeah. So I understand yeah. why you're disappointed, but I had popcorn in hand last night and was kind of like, no way. Now they're together and they're going to do what now? And he has a hammer. Like I just. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. kind of was into it, man. I think you just have to let your brain break just enough and then just go. Yeah. With it. And then it's yeah. like still a pretty fun ride, you know. You know what? I realized even as we finish this week, and my looking at my attitude, I realized that I am Randall Tarley. <laughs> like you're all going like, oh, let's go with it. It's everything's changed, and this is cool, and now we have dragons. And I'm like, no, this is not allowed. Ma. I'm sorry, but the rules are you can't do that on this TV show. And I'm sorry, I just can't go along with it. Nope. <laughs> and then I guess I get burned to death. I guess that's appropriate <laughs> fate. Just bend the, the knee, Peter. Bend the knee to the trite TV writing. <laughs> I, I refuse. Okay, we are going to listen to some voicemails in just a moment. Okay, time to listen to some voicemails. First up, we have Amanda from Portland, Oregon. Hi, this is Amanda calling from Portland, Oregon. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. I'm just curious if you guys have any insight on the like crazy badass crew that's heading to find some White Walkers. Uh, if there's going to be like any infighting after all the shade that was thrown this last episode, um, given all the different characters that are going out there together. Uh, can't wait for the episode tomorrow. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Peter, would it make you happy if the Super Friends ended up with some well, fighting problems and killed that. each other? Would that make it better? I was just thinking that. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that any one of them is going to, like, pull a Telly Savalas in the Dirty Dozen and turn on them, because that's probably not going to happen. But I imagine that any conflict that happens, right, arguments between Sandor, who's a jerk, and Jon Snow, or whoever it may, but it's all going to be just time-killing conflict to give us good badinage before they're attacked and they need to start fighting together. It's hard to imagine that anything really interesting is going to happen between those characters other than bickering and then fighting and dying. Yeah, and I'm absolutely certain, by the way, that more than one of them is going to die. I mean, we can start, we can start, you know, picking our favorites to go. Should we put money on that? I mean, not actual money, but should we make some? I don't know. Only John makes it back with Lightbringer, the sword that's on fire, because he's the prince who was promised. What if only John makes it back? Does that make it okay that they like teased everybody with a super friends? superhero movie thing if they just murder everyone well the, the one argument i mean there's there's all of those characters have survived i mean jorah sandor clegane and certainly beric dondarian all of those guys have survived prior deaths of a kind they were all assumed to be dead or dying and now they've all gotten a second chance and usually wow. what happens to characters who've been given a second chance is they die nobly the, the, the second time right isn't that isn't that the classic idea like you've You've been saved from the death for some purpose, and your purpose is to save Jon Snow's life or to save the Seven Kingdoms through some act of bravery. So I think Beric is going to be the first to go because he's the one we have the least connection to, and he also has that kind of, we must do this. He's often the leader whose sense of mission brings him first to doom, and I think... I've I've been waiting for Jorah to die for three seasons. So I would any day, be so guys, happy if Jorah died. Any actually. day, any day, guys. Also, they might and just I, all die of not wearing hats or earmuffs because come oh on, guys. Oh God, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. The head covering is 
problematic, to say the least. No, but we've <laughs> talked about this before, that none of these people, no matter how ever freezing it gets, ever put on a goddamn hat. <laughs> you would think Tormund, at least, would be the one who would be like, everyone, guys, put on a goddamn guys, hat. Have you not been here before? All right, one more voicemail. I, this is a fun one. I actually want to hear what Peter has to say about this, because I don't know. So our question is, how is it that the Maces don't know anything about the Three-Eyed Raven? Interesting. Hmm. That is a good question. And I guess the answer has to be that that's something that is only known to the mystics of the North. I mean, how did, how did like, Bran find out that the Three-Eyed Raven existed? Through his visions, right? Yeah. After his accident. And as far as I remember, his maester, uh, the, the people who raised him, uh, was it, who was the original maester at Winterfell? Lewin. Thank you. Their attitude was, you know, all of that nonsense, the, the, the White Walkers or the others, as they're called in the book, it's all, it's all nonsense and just legends. Don't worry about it. So presumably the Three-Eyed Raven would be part of that magical world. I do wonder, though, if the Three-Eyed Raven has always existed since the First Men and the Children of the Forest— Sort yeah. of the Dread Pirate Roberts thing that we've discussed, that there, there has always been one. Right. If he wasn't involved in ending the last long night, like, is that the thing that they'll find? Is sort of like what the Three-Eyed Raven is actually supposed to do? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's something that Sam can find out. Because it does right. seem strange that nowhere in the Citadel is there ever any meaningful reference to this green seer. Because they believe in warging and green sight and these other things, right? Like they Do they? I don't know. I mean... Is it all I, sort of pre-written record and all seen as legend? I, I, my, my guess is, is that the maesters are supposed to be represent, re- representing what passes for rational science in Westeros. Right. So they're the science guys who believe in cause and effect and believe in you know, evidence. We, remember, we, we even saw um, Maester uh, Broadbent uh, you know, conducting kind of medical experiments as he weighed organs and stuff. Yeah. So presumably, if they're if they're set up that way, like they're the rational forces of knowledge, then they're going to poo-poo, as we saw them do, yeah. at mm-hmm. magic, mm-hmm. Uh, ESP, all kinds of you know supernatural stuff. Okay, we have an extra bonus voicemail. Hey, this is Kevin from San Jose. Just really, really short. If you want to be my lover, you gotta go with my droga. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. God bless our listeners. God bless them all. <laughs> I do like the idea, though, of, of what Danny being what? Dragon Spice? I don't know. Dragon Spice. <laughs> also, is he auditioning for Harry Strickland Partners? Is that what was happening? Oh. Hey, did, did Harry Strickland appear among the captured... Le- uh, no, wait a minute. Not Harry Strickland. Ned Sheeran. Did Ned Sheeran appear among Ed the captured... Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Not Ned Sheeran. That's Ned Stark. <laughs> Ed Sheeran appear among the captured Lannister soldiers, I thought I saw his little beardless face. Oh, I missed that. If so, that would have been exciting, but I don't know. I feel I like the internet would have. Yeah, the internet would have. Right? Yeah. Did you guys find out about Noah Syndergaard last week? Find out about what? You didn't know about this. That in the, there was another famous cameo in last week's episode that the Mets pitcher Noah Syndergaard <laughs> uh, had a, like a, a literally second and a half cameo as a Lannister soldier throwing a spear. Aw, that's delightful. I, re- I love baseball and Game of Thrones. How did I miss this? I don't know. I missed it too. And somebody said, hey, did you hear about Noah Syndergaard? I was like, I would have heard about that. But no, there he is. Look but, it up. But did you guys hear about Ikea? Oh, yes. Yeah. Jon Snow's capes are actually Ikea rugs. Yes. Which I just find delightful. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. When you think of like those big outfits that like the Bear Mormont used to wear, uh-huh. you know. Totally. Enormous, you know, thick pelts. Why not IKEA rugs? Yep. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. So if you have questions for us or you feel we've missed something like baseball players or IKEA rugs. Or Arya's left-handedness or not. We got a lot of comments about that last week. Oh yeah. A lot of back and forth about her left-handedness. <laughs> and, and many people wrote in, so now we know. Now we know. Maisie Williams is right-handed. Arya is left-handed. Call us and tell us things that you know or questions that you have. 312-948-4687 or a toll-free number. 855-923-9993. We're online at wbez.org slash thrones. We're on Twitter at nerdatpodcast or at Peter Sagel. You can use the hashtag GOTNerdcaps. Thanks to Michigan Shield for writing us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Michigan Shield says, if you like smart, funny women and a man who is constantly surprised when his patriarchy reveals itself, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> 
I'm not surprised per se. I, I see it coming. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but that's okay. <laughs> the show is produced by us with help in so many ways, including being fast on the button that has those patriarchy jingles on it. Thank you, Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Let's just be clear, he has nothing to do with the throne's issues. <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> totally innocent. But an extra special thank you this week to someone named Rob Wildbore, hmm. who is the keyboardist for Harry Strickland Partners. I knew it was him. <laughs> Lay us out, Rob. It's the next place. The next place we're going. It's the next place. Another place. It's another place. A different location presented by Harry Strickland Partners. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.